Allow myself to introduce myself. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Deliver all my produce. And whatever comes our way. Yeah, darling, gonna make it happen. Escape the world in a semi-truck. Fire all your guns at once, cause clown world sucks. I like satin lightning. Secure money baseless. Peer-to-peer -peer exchange. Fix supply fed slayer. Yeah, darling, gonna talk to Frito on his tiny Bitcoin show. Four people listening at once, man. This guy really blows. All right, welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Children of the Corn. Since my last episode featuring Bitcoin Becca, Bitcoin's been on an epic rip. I think we're up about $500 or so. So I could not imagine a more exciting time to bring you a discussion <laughs> with Bubba, who goes by the handle at Cool Beans Ranch on Twitter. And I first heard of Bubba with a couple of appearances he did on Elsie Hoddle's Blue Collar Plebcast. And I got acquainted with a lot of great plebs through Elsie's podcast. And I don't know where he finds people, but he's really good at it. And Bubba's a truck driver. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe your wife is as well. And I yeah, think she that, just huh? she just passed another test today, so she's full blown truck driver, no longer in training with me. Oh, congratulations to her! I, I can no longer yell at her. <laughs> um, and and I I think that truck driving and logistics is is very topical in today's era of supply shortages. So thank you for joining me today, sir. You're welcome, man. Good to be <laughs> here. Um, LC's been keeping a low profile these days. Have you been keeping in touch with him? Yeah, as much as possible through uh, Telegram and stuff. But uh, yeah, he is. He's he's staying low. He's just doing stuff with his family, you know, getting uh, getting his uh, homestead together and stuff. That's what he's doing. How did you meet him? It, I met him through. Actually, I met him through Slim. Because okay. me and Slim, me and Slim have been together since day one. And then when he did a Slim did a podcast, so it was Slim's idea or LC's, I guess, to do the the triple podcast with the, the two of us or the three of us. You've done it a was couple one of their ideas, right? Yeah, it was one of their ideas, and I just kind of went along with it because I was in the Philippines with that stuff. Okay, how did down. you know Slim? Well, I was the uh, I'm sort of the impetus of of getting him widely known quickly when he. When he released the Harvest of Deception article, right, I read it. I read it once because I've been, I've been wondering about this most of my life, and I'm an old guy, so it's a long time. But I've been wondering about it. I read his article, and immediately, because I'm kind of friendly with Princey, and I got a hold of ID and Princey. I said, "This is the guy. Get him on. Get him on. Get him on." Instead of just, and it turned out to be right. Slim's really been great that he's not just a writer and a talker. The Beef Initiative has has just expounded greatly. Uh, we were down there in Texas just this weekend for the Killing Grill. And I think just in Texas alone, he's got 100 ranchers. But the way they're going to do it, it's going to go to Nashville and other places and replicate and stay small and decentralized. But it's working great. 
You know, they, awesome. they, I, I think he said he mentioned something about selling. They've sold a half a million dollars of beef in Bitcoin this year. Well, that's wild. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, those are two superior so forms of money. Yeah. And, and it ended up me and Slim were just kind of like brothers from another mother. He's, he's, he's a little bit younger than me, but he's, he's an old guy too. <laughs> and we've had similar life experiences. So we just fast friends really quick. Very cool. Yeah. Daniel Prince has a really great podcast. I, I've heard a lot of his episodes. Um, you're American, correct? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do I sound like anything else? <laughs> I, I can't tell these days, but, but what state do you hail from? Indiana originally. Okay. Yeah. Um, Hoosier. Nice. Nice. You mentioned to me that you've been debt free for some time. So to me, it seems like that's a virtue that should be rewarded, but does it make you upset that society seems to penalize people for living debt free instead of rewarding them? Yeah. I, I, it's probably close to 20 years now that I've been debt free. Uh, I know it's 15 because when I, when I met my wife online, the way we do, plus she was in the Philippines and stuff, but I did not want her to marry my debt when mm-hmm. we got married. I, I didn't want it. So I almost was out of debt when I married her a couple more months and we were out of debt, but I just didn't, it was it because my American lifestyle was not her responsibility, you know, and I didn't want it to be her. So getting out of debt was the best thing on earth because it's amazing. It's amazing what you can do with a, a paycheck, which mm. means you just put it, you put it and you put it where you need it to be, not where it has to be. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have bills coming in and then you really don't need much of a mailbox because nothing comes. You know, there's no bills, no nothing. Describe how, it takes a, can, can a you describe of, how being debt free, like increases freedom. Yeah, you're completely free. You're you're as free as you can get. Because uh, I I'm known to fly off the handle and quit jobs at the at the drop of a dime, and I quit them and not worry about it. Um, two, what was it? Summer seventeen, we went and bought an RV for cash, and then I took what four or five months off sweets, and we drove around, and she got to see America that way instead of just from the truck. We actually got to stop, but you're able to do things and you don't have any worries because you're not worried about the next bill that's coming. So if you're, if you're like us or me saver, you know, but if you want to buy something, you just buy it and you buy it with cash. You don't get a loan, nothing like that. You know, I, I haven't had a loan since I got debt free and I've had a house, had two RVs, you know, a couple cars, Nothing was ever bought with a loan. And when you don't have to go to the bank and ask them, please help me, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that kind of freedom is a foreign concept to a lot of people, most people. I think so. I think so. Because of the – and I think it says something in the Bible about being a debt slave. You know, debt is bad, something like that. But you really are – if you have debt, you are a slave. And you've made your own – you're a slave to yourself. Yeah. You're a slave to your desires because you buy these things and then you got to pay them off. <laughs> yeah, you have to pay for these things, you know. So it does give you a lot of freedom and it just the ease of mind. There's 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 so much weight. The minute I paid off the last debt, it was like the weight of the world was off my shoulders. Hmm. You know. And I was 40 yeah. man, early 40s when that happened. 
You know, you look like so, you're in your early 40s now. Ha! Ha! 59, brother. <laughs> we, uh, we're incentivized to enslave ourselves to the system. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they make it. That's what marketing is. Marketing of everything. And people just, I was never much. Well, I'm not going to say I was never much. Because back in the day, I had seven motorcycles for seven days of the week, and they were all on loan. <laughs> you know, uh, think crazy shit like that. But you believe if you have stuff, even though you're paying for it, you have stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm I'm successful. You know, my wife. It was funny as hell. She came over from the Philippines, right? And and we're in the truck. And in the first four months, she's just riding along, and she's looking outside the window and stuff in America. And she goes, it's really true. Everybody in America has everything, but they don't own any of it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that was from coming from a third world to this. I said, you are so far ahead of the game, girl. (laughs) I think think deep down people know their money is not worth much. And that's why they value stuff more. Because if they truly valued their money as a tool, then the stuff wouldn't mean as much as it does. Right. That, 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 I think that's most of the problem because like Bitcoin's a tool, money's a tool. That's all it is. It's a tool. It's, and if it's used improperly, you know, like you don't, you don't use a flathead screwdriver to nail in a nail, use a hammer, you know? So if you use the tool wrong, you're going to end up a crick, you know, you're not, you, things aren't going to get done right. So I think you're right. It's, it's, it's just irresponsibility because it, most people were never taught. I I was never taught by my parents. I was taught by my grandparents on that. I paid more attention to my grandparents because they came out of the depression, mm. and I just always paid more to more attention to what they told me than what my mom and dad told me when it came to finances. And my mom, my dad was very successful. I I I guess you could say I came from nouveau rich money, you know. This is back in the seventies and my dad was making twenty thousand dollars a month. So we weren't hurt. But I just didn't I didn't like the lifestyle that it was it was making us have. And then of course it all blew up and shit went to hell, you know. But I've just I just never followed their path. I followed grandma and grandpa's. I feel like the rules are changing so fast. It's hard for generations to pass down teaching about money. Yeah. Well, the lessons the lessons, and you know how it is. I mean, it was even the same back when, when, when I was in school. They don't. There's no class about money because nobody really knows. You know, so many. You figure what ninety percent of ninety percent of the people, they don't know what money is. You know, yeah. they just don't. Well, that's that's so, purposeful, I think. Yeah. Oh, I, I it, it's. It's been ingrained through generations, you know, and now it's worse because now they just don't want anybody to know anything. Yeah, because the, the Keynesian philosophy is teaching people, don't worry about money. It's too complicated for your small brain. Yeah. <laughs> Leave it to the experts that are very smart, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. See, because I, I went to college for one year, <laughs> and I was, I was an accounting e- economics major, and I quit college. Because I was in Econ 101 in this big room at Arizona State with 300 people in it. And the, the professor says, 
If you can get yourself a million dollars in debt, you can consider yourself a millionaire. And that just hit me wrong. I didn't know why it hit me wrong because I still didn't really know what it was, money. I was 18 years old. I didn't know. But, boy, that statement just hit me so wrong. And I went, I am not staying here. This is a waste of my time. Hmm. And then I had to go out and find myself, you know, find out for myself what it was. Gosh. And a lot of that was so blunt about it. Yeah, yeah. And a lot a lot of a lot of what I've learned has been trial and error, you know, making mistakes, learning from them and going on with it, you know. So you mentioned that your your wife is Filipino. What's it like living in a multicultural household? <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> Cuz I'm I'm the typical hot-headed redneck American. And my wife is the typical cool, calm, and collected Filipino. So it's a very much a yin and a yang. But it, it works. It works. Uh, I had to teach her how to cook American style because she knew how to cook fi- Filipino style, which the way she was brought up was pretty much fish and rice, and that's it. Yeah, so I, she can cook now like various dishes and flavorings and stuff because over where she comes from salt and pepper is not really used in cooking it's very bland which isn't the whole philippines but her section of the philippines hmm. because the philippines is broken up in so many different everybody's a they got well language wise alone they have three thousand dialects and where we lived when we tried to go over and live in 2012 it would have been like we were like 150 miles from where she was from and she only understood half of what was being said. And I didn't understand any of it. You know, we were trying to build a house and stuff, you know, communicating to the builders and stuff. It's like, holy shit. You know, but it's 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 an interesting thing. But, you know, she, she's been here so long. And when we went back to the Philippines just this last year, it was kind of a shock to her because she's been gone for so long that, the society stuff and cultural things kind of felt weird to her, mm. you know. Has it changed there a lot? Do what? Has the Philippines changed a lot in a short time? Uh Oh, yeah. Since my first time when I went there and spent time, which was 2012, to now, it's, it's and it's not changed for the better. <laughs> it's kind of like they're following it. Everything Western society does. They used to eat very natural foods and all the chickens and stuff. You know, it was very natural. Now they go down to the grocery store and buy box food. And when I was there in 2012, there was, I'd never seen a fat Filipino. There are fat Filipinos everywhere because they're eating the same box shit. They're eating fiat food. Yeah, exactly. They went from real food to the food that you could afford to eat in a fiat system. Yeah, because they're a growing country and economy, so now people have like what you would call middle class jobs, and they don't have time to grow their own food or go to that market, chickens and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're just going to the grocery store like we do, and they're just eating shit, you know. Huh? It's, it's uh, yeah, that's changed a lot. But then when I first went over there, banks didn't really give loans the Filipinos much now 
Oh God, the houses. They've all got these little loans. They're all it's like track housing, you know. But they've all got a loan out on it. The repossessions have gone crazy through the roof. And there's people that are in debt and enslaved to it, just like we are. Yeah. Where they weren't that way back in 2012. So they've inherited all the shitty aspects of Western society. <laughs> very much so. Awesome. Very much so. They're very influenced by Western society. I think it's because from all the years of the wars, you know, America was in there for a long time and Australians and Europeans. So all that Western society is there and it's influenced them. And they look to the West as the knowledgeable, you know, and I guess we could be in some ways, but they've picked up, you know, the flashy stuff because what they see on TV over there, it's pretty much Hollywood and New York city. That's Mm -hmm. how they think America is. They don't know about anything in between. So all that glitz and glamor, that's what they're trying to get to. They haven't seen Buffalo. No, no, they haven't. Not really. Probably not. So do you eat a lot of Filipino food? Now? No, no. My wife still does. She eats a lot of rice. She loves rice. She's almost like a junkie. It sounds pretty awesome. I mean, you you could salt and pepper it up. Sounds good. Yeah, so the chicken adobo is great. That is unbelievable. That is really good. Uh, and some of the fish can be really good, but where she's from, they bought the cheapest fish they could have. They didn't have much money. Mm -hmm. So they got the cheapest fish that was caught that day, but it was fresh. That's the thing. All the fish there, you know, it's, it's all caught that day. So it's all fresh. Why aren't there more Filipino restaurants in America? I've always asked the same question. I've always asked that. Because it doesn't matter. There's so many Filipinos here. And like we have Japanese restaurants and Chinese restaurants and Mexican restaurants. Why aren't there more Filipino restaurants? I've always asked that too. And I don't know. I can't. Why, I don't know what it is. Why Why are the Philippines spelled with PH, but Filipino spelled with an F? <laughs> that, there's lots of crazy things about the Philippines. <laughs> and that I and and that's that's a thing too, but the Philippine society, when you're visiting, it's a it's the quintessential, it's the nice place to visit. It is great for a vacation because it's all the beaches and everybody's friendly and stuff. Living there though, you you, you the only way you can live there happily, you truly got to lose your whole Western mentality. You have to lose it. And let it go. And if you can't do that, you know, a lot of a lot of the guys I know over there, well, I've known more than a few that drank themselves to death. But a lot of them stayed drunk a lot to hmm. deal with the craziness of the society. And I fell in I fell into that in 2012 when I got done building my house. Okay, I'm sitting there with the dream thing. I had a hundred foot of Pacific Ocean frontage and my house was built. And every day I started popping the beer earlier and earlier and earlier. And it got to a point where I said, this is no good. This is bad. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of them that just fell into that. First off, when you're a foreigner over there, you can't do anything. You can't work. You can't do anything. Even shopping, because there's not a lot of price tags on things, right? Mm -hmm. 
So you get what you get what we affectionately call a skin tax on the price. The price will double on everything. So if 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 you're not with your wife and she goes into the store, like I did it one time, we needed tires for my Jeep and I sent my wife in the store. I stood outside. They didn't even see me. She negotiated a price. And when I walked in the store, you could see the look on their face. They're like, oh shit. Well, that we sounds pretty awful. Money. Why did you try to live there in 2012, give up on it, and then try to live there again last year? Love, brother. She wanted to go home. Mm. She she really wanted to go home. And the last time kind of taught her, but it that's what it was. Love. Do you do you do you love your wife? Yeah. And you try to give her everything she wants. She wanted to go home. Uh, and we had the farm and that. That's just where she wanted to be. Mm-hmm. You know, so I did it and we did it and it, it all went belly up. So mm-hmm. here we are now and we'll be fine. We'll be fine. You know, financially, we'll get it all worked back in, you know, doing this trucking thing. But that's why I did it because I knew <laughs> I knew I might not last. You know, because I didn't like it when I was over there the first time, you know. You said you built a house there in 2012? Yep. Yep. How How is building a house in the Philippines different than building one here? Let's just say I was the contractor and everything, and I fired everybody, and I finished building it myself. And I don't, I've never built a house in my life. Uh, what's hard about it in the Philippines is the getting the products to do it you know the the hardware stores a lot of times you go in and they don't have anything they just say no stock and you're like well can you get this no stock you know so getting good wood i had to i had to cut down the coconut trees and then dry that wood out and put diesel over it to keep the insects away and we had to build that and then we had to do yeah, like we got you go to the hardware store like cement block, like cinder block, right? Well, I built the lower half. The the first story just was cinder block because I figured how can they screw that up? And that they, they put together pretty quick. But the cinder blocks over there, <laughs> half the time when you pick them up, they just fall apart. Hmm. They're made more with sand than anything else. So it's it's not sturdy, it's not strong. And the hurricane that just went through there on that island we were living on uh, went through in December last year. Literally, the island was level. All my friends lost everything they had, and my house was no longer there. It was gone. Hmm. You know. Well, that's terrible. So it's, it's a good thing you left. Yeah. What, what did you yeah, put on the, the wood to keep the insects from attacking it? Diesel. Diesel fuel. Really? Yeah. It's toxic as hell. <laughs> the 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 var- the varmints that were living inside the wood when you you know paint brush it with uh-huh. diesel they just come running out run for their lives oh. it's toxic so I had a uh, I lived on a river in Indiana and I had a house made completely out of cedar wood and you would have to do because boring bugs love that stuff mm. uh, and that's what I did I dieseled the whole outside of the house. I mean, I'm no engineer, but it seems dangerous to put fuel on the wood you build your house with. Well, it works. It, it's just one of those old things that works. You know, you can go buy some chemical and do it, or you just go buy some diesel. 
And huh. back then, that diesel was still cheap, you know. So last time you tried in the Philippines, you had a cocoa tree farm? Well, no. Uh, it was cacao trees. Oh, cacao. Okay. Chocolate. Chocolate. What, what were you doing with that? Well, my wife was making the chocolate. Oh. She got, she's real good. She learned, when she came over here, she learned how to, she became an excellent baker, won some awards and stuff. Uh, and then it was my idea to plant the cacao trees. I figured it'd be a cash crop if nothing else. And then she learned how to make chocolate things. She oh. made like a chocolate spread and other chocolate things. Okay. So that's what we were doing with it. And that the animals that we had was pretty much just to self-sustain ourselves. You, know? you told me you were paying a guy to take care of the house and the trees, but he didn't. What happened? Well, we were doing it organically. So we had, my wife came up with this mixture of molasses and onions and vinegar and stuff. And he was supposed to spray the trees. And it was like a fertilizer form because we weren't we weren't going to use any fertilizer or pesticides anything like that. So for the five years that was supposedly he was supposedly taking care of it, and we paid. We kept sending the money, and Filipinos are bad with confrontation. The family knew he wasn't doing his job, but they didn't want to confront him, and I us fire him because you know he's poor and he needed some money and all that kind of stuff so when we got there the trees the everything was yellow and and the cacao tree leaf is very green and just never stops being green because it's the tropics mm. but they were yellow uh the the buds weren't as good we had to you know go through that process save him so we had to fire him you mm -hmm. know Sorry, sorry about you and your wife not being able to eat, but sorry, you screwed up, you know. Um, we did pay him for five all, years. Yeah, and and he took he took our money for five years, you know, and that was not good. So that was, it obviously wasn't damaged beyond repair. We got it back, but it was pretty well damaged, you know, and, mm. and it's just a fact of... If you're being paid to do a job, do a job. You know, that doesn't sit well with me that he was just taking the rich, the rich Kano money, you know, the rich American money, you know, because I ain't rich, you know. I uh, I can relate to you and your wife's story a little bit because my dad was in the Navy and he was based in Japan and mm -hmm. he met uh, a Japanese worker on the naval base that ended up being my mom and they got married and then they kicked him out of the Navy because they didn't trust Japanese nationals at the time. Yeah. So they came back here and had me and, and my house uh, growing up was pretty much all American. We never ate much ethnic food, although my mom made a mean fried rice. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then and then kind of similar to you, he, he worked in the trucking industry. He was a OS&D clerk for a while. Um, oh, OK. Yeah. He's better at solving problems than than me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so so how long have you been a truck driver for? Almost 20 years. Almost twenty years. I see you're uh, uh, in one now. Where where are you headed today, sir? Nowhere today. We're we're sitting. We we. It was a screwed up day. We had a load that delivered at six thirty this morning, supposedly. Huh. And when I got there, it was south of Atlanta. 
Uh, and our company is out of Rydell, Georgia, so on the north side of Atlanta. Anyways, we got there at 6.30 in the morning. They said, no, you're tomorrow. <laughs> so we had to bring the trailer back to here. And there's a lot of other trucks sitting here because the trucking industry is weird. It's ebb and flow. So we're probably sitting here all day and night. Hopefully get something to get out of here tomorrow. Mm. What do you do when but you're stuck? Do you, do you hang out with other truck drivers? What, what do you and your wife do? No. I mean, you can hang out with other truck drivers, but <laughs> truck drivers all have stories, and none of them are true, and they like to tell them a lot over and over and over. Uh, but no, this is at our company thing. So is the driver's lounge. And like I said, there's a lot of truck drivers, but a lot of them are probably in their truck sleeping because a lot of trucking happens, good trucking happens at night. Drive through the night, deliver in the morning, and sleep during the day. To avoid traffic? Them in the to avoid traffic, yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. okay. yeah. usually, if you come into Atlanta, the way we, we usually run runs from Georgia out to California, pick up some stuff and bring it back. Uh, and when you get to the west side of Atlanta, if it's in the daylight, you're going to come to a stop on the interstate and you're going to just kind of start moving forward. So, well, I came in at five, I came in at five 30 in the morning, just drove right through Atlanta, right to the place. There you go. What, so, what yeah, led you to become a truck driver? Really? I always thought, I always thought I wanted to be one. And this is stupid because I was a musician, right? In the early years, I was I, I was a musician from like eighteen to thirty, on the road and stuff. I I love the road, I love the life. But Elvis Presley, you know, I'm I'm of that age where Elvis was the man, and Elvis Presley once was a truck driver. It was not a truck like this, but it was a little truck around Memphis, right? Okay. So that was always a story. He was a truck driver. So I was like, and it, back in the seventies, if you you may not remember TV shows like Moving On and BJ and the Bear and that. It just made trucking look cool. Okay. You know? Very much freedom. You know, a, a freedom thing. Freedom of the open road. So what happened was I was a musician. Then I was a hairdresser for a decade, and that got boring. So I started working on Harleys. I was a Harley mechanic. And when I was in Florida... The day I was, I went to the Daytona 500 the day that Dale Earnhardt died. Well, that's the same day I almost died. I got hit on my motorcycle. A drunk driver in a Ford F-150 hit me head on at about 45 miles an hour. And that's about what I was at. I don't know how I'm alive, but my back broke and a lot of shit broke. And I couldn't bend. I could bend, but I'd be working on a bike. I'd be bent over, you know, it's up on a lift. and I'd be bent over. And I get stuck. I couldn't straighten back up. Oh. And it was and it was painful as hell. So it kind of like, well, okay, I can do trucking. I can sit in the seat, you know, and it won't hurt. So that was it. It that was it. It was about that much thought put into it. Mm-hmm. Isn't you sitting know? all day kind of rough on your back? No, not anymore. Not in these. Not in these things. You're you're in your your cab is air ride your chair is air ride everything's air ride okay so you're not the unless you're hitting like certain areas san francisco and stuff like that where the roads are terrible you'll feel the bumps 
But most of the time, you're just kind of bouncing up and down, you know, like on a, on a float of air, you know. So, and the seats are really nice. The seats in these trucks are really nice. They didn't used to be. They did not used to be. Mm-hmm. When I first started, I had to have some cushions and stuff. And I'd have to sit there and get the seat right, a lumbar just right, or I'd be dead. But nowadays, they're so nice. You know, this, okay. it's not very, it's not hard like it used to be. So it's very easy, really. If there was a young adult growing up and asking you, what would you tell them the major pros and cons are of being a truck driver? The major con is you're never home. You have no, you, you just, you lose touch with your people. Uh, it's a little bit easier now because everybody's got you know, like this. We're, we're like a FaceTime, a Zoom thing. A lot of truck drivers keep in touch with their family that way. Uh, the major pros is I, I'm i not going to tell you how much money we're making, but we're, we're making money. Mm-hmm. Like most college graduates would kill to have this money. Mm-hmm. So it's you make a sacrifice and you make it for that, that money. The good thing about the job is if, if if you're a person who doesn't like this new society we live in, yeah. you're, you're still in it because you're working in this society, but you're really not in it because you're moving all <laughs> the time. You're not the, the day-to-day weird fluctuations of life in this society. You can get away from it. You just completely get away from it. Yeah, more you and know? more that's becoming a better thing, huh? <laughs> I like it a lot because of that. Yeah. Because I like to say one of my pet peeves is one of my pet peeves is people. <laughs> it's, it's a common Just sentiment amongst the bit amongst the uh, Bitcoiners. Um, yeah. How much of a problem for truck drivers is sleep apnea screening? How much is what? Say that again. Sleep apnea screening. Does that come up? Oh, much? it it did years ago. Um, when that, when this whole sleep, because you tell me about that, when the sleep apnea thing became a big deal in trucking, which was about 10 years ago, they put every trucker on it. I mean, every doctor did. I think they were getting kickbacks because of the, the size of the neck and if you were overweight. Well, show me a truck driver that's not overweight and doesn't have kind of a fat neck, right? So they just put everybody on it and everybody had to have the machine in a truck. What did what good that did was it made them develop because they didn't want to idle the truck anymore, but so it made them develop other electrical sources when you park the truck. So uh-huh. now you know we we cook in here, we got refrigerators in here. Okay, so it brought that electrical source to run the CPAP machine. Ah, it was necessary so to force the development. So now you, now you can live better there. Yeah, that's cool. And I had a CPAP. I had a CPAP because I was shit. I weighed 320 pounds and I failed my CDL physical. Yeah. And they put me on a CPAP. And at that time, I really needed it. Then I lost the weight. So at that time, I didn't, I was like, ah, fuck. I don't want this thing. I guess I'll fucking do it. But then when I used it at night, shit, I slept, you know? soundly so it, it did what it was supposed to do that was, was a good thing it was just kind of a selfish question out of self-interest because i treat sleep apnea for a living but i always feel bad when i, I drag you guys in i'm like i don't want to force you guys to do anything you don't want to do now that well 
now there's still probably a lot of truckers that are that are, have it in the truck, and the, and it's good because it gives them a good night's sleep. Because what we do now, we drive team. So this truck doesn't stop. Mm. She drives. You know, I mean, you're trying to sleep, right in the back of a truck going down the highway. Imagine, you you know about sleep. Imagine your head and body laying on a bed that's just bouncing all the time. Not a nice little vibration like a massager. It's bouncing, mm. you know. So even when you're asleep, your head's on the pillow just bouncing. You know, it's not a good sleep. When mm. we got to Texas, we got to Texas, we parked, and we both slept for 12 hours straight. Truck wasn't moving or nothing, and just like slept the sleep of the dead. Mm-hmm. And it was great. And it was great. Because I usually... I usually am screwed up after about seven days. We almost have to stop the truck. Like yesterday, I can tell you this. Yesterday, because we'd slept during the day or during the night, she started driving all day up through Texas, up to Shreveport, Louisiana, and then farther. And I didn't sleep, you know, because I, I just woke up. So I didn't sleep. So she drove up to a point and we stopped the truck and I saw on my, my GPS, what time I was going to get here to this place. So I said, okay, I got three and a half hours I can sleep. So that's why, I, that's what I'm still working on. I've been up all day, but I worked on three and a half hours, pulled into a rest area and stopped the truck. Because I tried to sleep yesterday when the truck was moving, but I wasn't tired enough. But mm-hmm. that's how I go to sleep is just exhaustion. You know, after a couple of days of not sleeping, boom, crash. Well, that doesn't sound ideal. It's not. It's not. It's not. That's one of the cons. Okay. When you're, um, when you're driving team. If you're driving solo, you have to stop the truck because you have to take your 10-hour break every day or every night. Whenever you take your break, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so you have to stop the truck, get in the truck, stop and park and so sleep. Before she got certified, you weren't doing a team thing? No. No. No, but I was just driving solo. She was just riding along, keeping me company. Okay. You know, so we would stop. You know, we'd drive all day or night or whatever it was, usually night. And I'd be done by about one in the afternoon. Then we'd park it until like 11 at night and sleep. You know, but even, and you know this, sleeping in the daylight because of circadian rhythms is not as good as sleeping at night. It's just your body's. Not getting the same rest. I mean, yeah, especially if you're trying to bounce back and forth too. It's, it's one thing if you just keep it there all the time, but it's hard to do. Um, yeah. Ha- have you been following the latest uh, concern about diesel shortages? Is that a real thing? Oh, yeah, I know about it. Yeah. Actually, uh, two weeks ago, we're always, when we go out to California, if we're on I-40, we're supposed to stop and fill up the truck before we get into California at a Love's truck stop in Lake Havasu, Arizona, which is about nine miles inside of Arizona, California. And they sent out a fleet-wide message. If you're on your way, they are almost out of fuel at the Love's. There's a long line all the way out onto the road, and there's a Love's and a pilot there, and they were both out of fuel. So... That's when that happened. Then I heard about the, what, we got 25%, something like that left. 25 days, but I guess normally they have like 34, so I'm not really sure how critical that means it is. Yeah, yeah, because they can make, they can 
you know, diesel comes from refining gasoline. The way they make gasoline, diesel is the byproduct, which never makes sense why diesel costs so much more. Because they don't really have to pay anything to manufacture. But they can manufacture a lot of diesel hmm. fairly quickly. But, yeah, that shortage, it's all going to come. I mean, we're already seeing the trucking industry, the the shortage of stuff that needs to move. You know, it's happened. It always happens in trucking six months before it hits hmm. the market. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, I can remember the crash, of, the crash of 2007 and 8. I got stuck in Laredo, Texas. Uh, I dropped a trailer and we had, my company had 300 loaded trailers and a lot, but nobody wanted any of it up north. They didn't want to take it. So I had to sit there for like five or six days before they got me out of Laredo, you know, and that was when the crash was happening or that was kind of like before it actually happened. Mm -hmm. But That's how it works in the trucking industry. It's kind of like it's kind of like Christmas cards. They don't write the Christmas cards on December first. They're writing them in July. You know, it's way in advance, and it hits the trucking industry when things stop moving. We know it here first, then mm-hmm. before you guys will. Think, and of course, they could they could know, it, but they they don't report it. So, I think to your point, you were making like why is something more expensive when it should be cheaper. My guess of an answer would be probably regulation is the prime culprit, right? Whenever the free market doesn't appear to make sense, it's usually because of some kind of intervention that the state is doing. Yeah. Cause they, they love to say, well, it's supply versus demand. Cause we do have a lot of trucks in America and they all run on diesel, mm. but we have a lot of cars in America that all run on gas, you know? Right. So, but if it were a free market, more people would be producing it and selling it to the truckers. Yeah. And if you remember, diesel was always cheaper than regular gas until Hurricane Katrina. Is that when true? They knocked out all the, yeah, it was always, always cheaper. And then when Hurricane Katrina hit the coast there and shut down those refineries for a few days, boom, the price came up and it just never came down. But it was always cheaper than gas, always. Hmm. Well, now it's not. Leave it to the state yeah. to distort the signal of the price. But um, yeah. you were talking about shortages. Are, are shortages coming? And what do you see becoming an issue uh, in terms of products? Well, we haul mostly food products. Well, from Georgia, we haul whatever goes out. Like car- down here, we haul a lot of carpet. Because that's where carpet's made is in Georgia, right? So we haul for them. But we also haul like, it's weird, we haul gum base for Wrigley's a lot. All the way from Georgia out to California. And they make bubble, whatever they're making, chewing gum, shit like that. But then we pick up meat or produce and bring it back. And the loads, the loads are smaller. They're not full. They're not really full trucks. No. Oh. You know, whether it's leafy green vegetables out of Salinas mm-hmm. or now this time of year, we go down to Yuma, Arizona and get them because they're coming up from Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. But the orders are smaller, you know? Huh. So if your truck's so, not full, then it costs more per unit to ship it then, right? No, 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 no. Now the company, the, the 
trucking company still makes money. It's, it's nice for us to drive it to lighter load, but LTL is what they call less than truckload. That's more expensive than a whole truck. <laughs> right. So I'm saying it's more expensive for them. Like, like they're yes, shipping less products, even though they're less efficient cost-wise. Right. Right. It's less efficient for the companies that have the product. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that means they because truly it, don't have enough to offer. Right. Because if the truck's running, they're going to get charged. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't, they don't really, in bulk shipments, they do like, like the guys that carry cement and bulk and grain and stuff. That's all by weight. This isn't necessarily by weight, how they, how the load, the hmm. cost of the load. Um, when I worked for Walmart, I drove for Walmart for a while and just delivered groceries to the grocery stores. Mm-hmm. It is such a good thing that Walmart made so much damn money because they wasted so much. One time, one time, I drove four pallets of fucking potato chips or something from Reno, Nevada, all the way up to Oregon (laughs) because the store needed them and somebody fucked up on the order, right? But there was a lot of times with Walmart that we weren't taking full trucks to the grocery stores. They were just inefficient in their logistics hmm. and stuff, you know, but uh, what, what do you think here, causes that inefficiency? <laughs> you really want me to give you what I think it is? Well, I don't know. You might hear things in your industry. I'm, I'm clueless over There's here. A, well, nobody's responsible for their job anymore. Nobody can be fired. And you got a lot of, the, the Walton family is no longer running Walmart. It's a bunch of MBA students that got out of college and now they're working their way up to Walmart Mm -hmm. and they don't know the business. You know, they know what a professor taught them, but they don't know the business and, you know, they don't get fired for doing the wrong thing. And the store manager may have ordered wrong, but he's not ordering it because it's all computerized. Right. Mm. It sounds like, it sounds like the business is being run by politicians. It is at Walmart. Oh my God. I mean, I got fired from Walmart for not wearing a mask. That tells you anything hmm. during COVID, you know, but it is so political. Like in the Walmart organization, it is political to the point of political correctness is crazy. A buddy of mine who drove for Walmart, he's fired now. Um, we were, he was delivering at some store in California and there was this, he saw the back. He saw the long hair, dress, the whole thing. And all he did was say, excuse me, ma'am. And she turned around and said, I'm not a ma'am. And started yelling at him and reported him for being insensitive. He had to go through sensitivity training for that. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's out of control. Uh-huh. In my uh, hospital but- organization, one of them, because I, I was in several, and they all had to, made to do different things. But one of them made me watch four hours on video on like racial equality. And I'm like, dude, I'm a minority. Like, why are you making me watch this? Like, <laughs> it's really, it's really. Well, last, crazy. last every month we have to watch safety videos on our phone, you know, cause it's all for the insurance agency safety yeah. videos. But at least that you makes know, some sense. It's not like, yes, don't but, hurt people's feelings like, videos, but not like, no, oh, last month's video that we had to watch for safety. Yeah, 
sexual harassment in the workplace. What's that do with safety? It, it has nothing to do with safety. You know that. <laughs> I mean, like, I'd rather you as a truck driver insult me in some way than run me over. So I think the safety's better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd rather me just flip you off. Yeah, that, that would be much better yeah. than being run over. But I think we're more concerned with the, the middle finger these days. Yeah, it's not like I said. We're in the truck and we go pick up stuff and we go deliver stuff. So we don't have to deal with much of that because we're not in the workplace, you know. Mm. Um, and when you're at warehouses and things like that, you know, it's it's not necessarily politically correct, you know, in that, that environment, you know. I would imagine if you were delivering things to like an Amazon or stuff like that or picking up an Amazon, that might get a little politically correct. But mm. we're not. We deliver to distribute. We deliver to warehouses like that are distribution. So, like, we'll take a whole truckload of, of spinach, mm-hmm. you know, uh, from from Fresh Express in California or Yuma, and we'll take it to Fresh Express here in Georgia. And literally, we just drop the trailer, pick up an empty, and get the hell out, you know. So, I think for people like, like that, you who are trying to be on the fringe, it's going to be harder and harder to stay away from it all, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've learned through my time. I've always been, I've always been the nut job. In 1985, I woke up to this world, you know, that was a long damn time ago, long before Bitcoin and all that stuff. And I've learned how to weave in and out of society. And I've mm-hmm. kept myself going this whole time. And I, like I said, I have a hot head and a loud mouth. I should be, I should have been in a lot of trouble. But I'm not there yet. I just know how to weave in and out of it. Well, you there. know what your problem is, is you think about stuff and, and you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, there, there's a there's a pro and a con of truck driving. You have all the time in the world to think things through because you're just driving, right? So it's a pro because you can start to figure the shit out. But it's a con because you figure it out and then you can't talk to your friends no more. Yeah. <laughs> You know, because they'll just call you 2020 call you crazy. divided a lot of people. Just yeah. weren't allowed to talk about certain things. Yeah, because um, see, in, in 1985, it was a girl that got me to do it because I thought I was going to get, I thought it was going to get me some. But <laughs> she said, you have to read this book. And it was Atlas Shrugged. So I was 22 years old reading Atlas Shrugged wow. in 1985. And it hit me. That you found a just, based 80s chick? Do what? You found a based 80s chick? Yeah, it was. You know, there was probably, there. I would say back in the day, there were more based women than there are now. Really? Because they, had, they hadn't been debased yet. Hmm. They were just starting. That process was really getting, you know, because political correctness and all that right. stuff didn't come around until the late 80s. Yeah, in the 80s, we glorified freedom and free speech, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, the opposite. And then it was now. in the late. It was in the late eighties when all that started switching. But if you had a girl promoting freedom in the eighties, I imagine she must have been like an Artemis like girl. Like, oh yeah, she was an art. She was an arty girl, but <laughs> she was an arty girl who I don't know how you'd put it. She was an arty girl, not a hippie. Yeah, no, I was talking about from- Artemis from Ready Player One. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, you know they worshipped the eighties, and it was just like this really like. I don't know, hot computer chick that was in Ready Player One. 
you know, yeah. it's basically like the impossible girl. So <laughs> yeah, well, th- this girl was this girl was sort of a punk rocker, uh-huh. you know. So she had that independent streak, and she'd obviously read the book, so maybe that created her independent streak. Huh. But I did not get the date. <laughs> did yeah. not happen. So so if, when I ask my friends about the Canadian truckers movement and around me, most of them have never heard of it. But it was a big deal in the Bitcoin community. Were you following yeah. that? Oh, yeah. I was over in the Philippines when it was going down. And I thought it was, I knew it would probably not get anywhere because it was Canada. Um, mm-hmm. Dystopian clusterfuck. I love no the offense, fight. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the fight that they were giving, that they were putting up the front and doing it. And they put their money where their mouth was. They went and parked those trucks. Mm-hmm. They weren't what, making any money. What was the premise behind the movement? Well, theirs was, I think it was the vaccine thing. Had a lot to do with it because the Canadian truckers, unlike here, that never happened. They did not force vaccination on American truckers because they knew. They knew that if the trucks stop in America, I don't know if you've heard that statistic. It's been around for many years. Mm. If the trucks stop rolling in America, just 30% of the trucks, America's done in three days. It's mm. just chaos. So they did it to the doctors everywhere. and the nurses, though. So the truckers were more important. Yeah, that was funny. Because during, yeah. during COVID, you know, the essential workers, and I was like, if you noticed, it was the truckers, you know, the doctors and nurses had to be at work, but like the plumbers and stuff like that. It was like all these people that don't have college educations were the essential workers. Everybody yeah. with a tech job, everybody with a tech job had to go home. You yeah, know, man. they're not needed because they're not important. You know, that's so, true. Well, it was you were just, mentioning just, that you have a lot of time to think. I, I think that most American workers do because most American workers don't actually think. It's all algorithms. No. Yeah, they don't because they're around other people. They can't because somebody's always, hey, Joe, you know, or Cindy, you know, mm-hmm. I got so, I got something funny I saw on TV last night. And then so you, as a trucker, what it is, you, you, you can have fucking 11 hours a day of uninterrupted thought, mm-hmm. you know, because I like, I like to say I thought I knew who I was as a person and then i started driving a truck and i had all that time to really look back on the past and bring it all together and find out who i really was you know uh but you have a lot truckers are some of the most informed actually because Mm. especially now with podcasts and satellite radio we just listen all day long to stuff you know we're not all out here listening to music all day we're learning and listening most uh, most people if given time are not really w- focusing on interpersonal growth though yeah that's true and what do you why do you think that is mm, i think we're conditioned to just be mentally lazy yeah if i didn't well, pick one <laughs> i think that's probably right but mine the sad fact is most people don't want to know who they really are because they probably won't be, they won't be happy with it. Right. You know, who they are at this moment. And if they actually start thinking about it, they'll realize how, as we say in the Bitcoin world, how fiat their fucking life is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And that would be um, depressing. Yeah, if you're just uh, mentally, uh, you're, you're like health poor, you're time poor, you're, you're wealth poor, 
yeah, it's not a pleasant place to really reflect from. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, real life is most people wake up in cubicle A, which is the house. And then they go to cubicle B, which is the work. And then they drive home to cubicle A. That is their whole world. That is their world. And then they go shopping at cubicle C every once in a while. But they're literally, their daily life is A to B, B to A. And that's, that's all that matters to them. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to look at the big picture, which is frightening because you know, the majority of the people are living this way. They just kind of, they're floating through life. Yep. And that's, and, and the worst is, because I like to say they're float floating through life and they're reproducing babies who are going to grow up to float through life, you know? I mean, I, I guess magical that, time when we retire and everything's utopia. Yeah, then you realize exactly. they stole all your wealth. Yeah, because I don't think I'm ever going to retire. We're on a five-year plan. I'll be 65, right? Mm. But in trucking, what we can do, we can semi-retire. You know, maybe we'll work five months out of the year. And the rest of the year, kind of retire. But because I, I found out this time when I was in the Philippines, I don't do good when there's not a lot to do. My mind, my mind starts working on me, you know, and I, I get, I get crazy when my hands have nothing to do, you know? Uh, so I don't think, I don't think I'm ever going to retire. I didn't, I didn't enjoy being retired. Hmm. I, 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 I can, I can see semi-retirement. I can see it that I can live with, I think. You know, and then we'll just travel around because we're going to get the RV and we're going to live in the RV. So we'll just travel around to do, do, do somebody whatever. Like you is going to enjoy doing it on not somebody else's schedule. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that what was the results of the truckers movement though. Was it a success? I don't think so. I don't, I mean, what happened? Has, has anything fucking changed up there? I, I've heard no news of it. Hmm. Well, unfortunately I with most, Social revolution, nothing's changing. Well, Canada went so crazy, and they're it's sad to say, you know, they still got their fucking Justin in there. So, I don't know. I don't because we were down in America, right? We heard about it through the Bitcoin stuff and all that stuff. And some of my trucking buddies were getting a hold of me, going, You know what's going on up there? I said, Yeah, it'll never happen in America very well. But I don't know what the end result. We haven't heard nothing. We haven't heard nothing of it. Yep. Did they it yelled a lot? Did it change anything? Yeah. I don't know. Right. You know. Right now in Iran, there's a similar type of freedom movement where people are on the streets yelling a lot all over the world. Um, yep. But but yelling a lot doesn't change much if you don't uh, have enough wealth and enough guns, probably. Yeah. I've I've always said protest. It's fun, and it's a party, but it never does nothing. It mm. never does. You've got to get out. It's It's got to be changed. You have to do it and change it. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going to actually, there's got to be enough people. You know, what do they say? Like uh, back in the American Revolution, it was only 3% that wanted to revolt against England. Most everybody wanted to stay England. Mm-hmm. So they still say that today that if we were going to have a revolution, it takes 3% of people. And what that means is 3% of the people are willing to put their ass on the line for hmm. what they believe in. And <laughs> I think that'll be hard. Cause I think, you know, like even in Bitcoin, 
you hear everybody. I think everybody's a fucking larper. You know that they, they sit yep. there and say they're going to do this. And the loudest do that. people are. The loudest people are. Yeah. yeah. And I just think you know, well, it's like I got it when I got into Bitcoin, which was in 2020. It was COVID that that shook me up. And when they shut down America, or really it was because I was out in Nevada. When they shut down Las Vegas, I went, holy shit. Las Vegas, Nevada just got shut. Mm-hmm. So that woke me. That woke me up to the thing. But that's when I found Bitcoin. Yeah. And people and I, I, I want to I get to that in a little bit, though. I don't, I don't want to tell you your Bitcoin story quite yet. Okay. Because I, I do want, I want to ask you about that. But with, with, the, with these movements, though, I, I do think that probably buying Bitcoin is more effective than most of the protesting. Shit, yeah. And I, Hell yeah. And you were talking about how if you're a debt slave, you just must, you can't say no, you you must continue just to work. And that's really the problem. Those Canadian truckers went back to work because they couldn't, they couldn't (laughs) say no because the state made them impoverished to that point. And that's purposeful. That's a means of control. Yeah. Because they sat out there on the road protesting. I know how much money they lost because I'm a trucker. I know how much they lost by being out there for two weeks. Mm. A lot of damn money. And do a they lot lose of those their jobs were, though? Like, if you just said, "I'm not, I'm not shipping the shipment," do, do they can't? No, because a lot of those guys, a lot of those guys were owner operators, so they oh. own the truck, okay, and they're independents. The company guys, you know, company guys couldn't get involved because the company would say, "Well, you're fired. Bring us the truck," you know. Gotcha. So, so there's a specific population of people that had some control. Yeah, but ultimately they didn't go back to work to pay for their truck that they borrowed the money for. Yeah, owner operators have a lot more control over their life than us company people. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one uh, of the things about that movement was that the GoFundMe was used to donate, and then that mm-hmm. got seized. <laughs> so that should have taught people that you should, you know, you don't own the money when you use a third party, and you can't use yeah. it for what you want. And then the yeah. Bitcoin donations were made, and and that was kind of hailed as a success. But in theory, those funds would need to be dispersed and converted to goods or fiat in a way that protects identities. Cause, cause even the donors were penalized for donating. They had their accounts. Yeah, loaded. exactly. That, which is uh, crazy. What happened there when they shut off the bank accounts, to these people. Yeah. I mean, right. that's, that's fucking communism for Christ's sake. So, you know? and, and yeah, I mean, there's communism in there and here. Right. So in theory, if, even if you want to use Bitcoin to help people and donate, you're putting yourself at risk. Cause that could be traced back to you on the blockchain. Um, yeah, I, I think somebody makes a mistake somewhere, which you have to assume. I think. I think if they could have donated, <laughs> it's weird, but Bitcoin is a very individual thing, right? Mm-hmm. If they could have, if they could have got, you know, without being public about it, if they could have, like, if those truckers were actually had Bitcoin addresses and wallets that were their own, yeah, mm-hmm. who would know you donated? You're well, not going through a thing. You send it but, to an address, right? But if those truckers are being monitored on their end and then they fail to mix it properly or they make a transaction without obfuscating that, it enough, it could be traced back to the donor. True. True. It can. All that that's the thing. Bitcoin is very transparent, you know. Uh, but I think if they could have done it peer to peer. Without any knowledge, without right. any knowledge to the forefront, right. I think it could have been done. Right. You know, and, and uh, but that's not how it was done. It was put together, you know, I mean, it was, it was put together so fast they were going to make mistakes. There's just no way they could. 
you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, up there, the, it it showed how the government will ram down on people, you know. And and mm-hmm. I know America Americans got that idea that we live in America, that wouldn't happen. Shit. Yeah, That's we're not, seeing. I mean, twenty twenty should happen. have been proof enough that anything could happen. Yeah, it's it. There, I've I've seen a lot of things in my time that everybody said America will never do that, mm-hmm. and they've done it. You know. Yeah. I mean, right. 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 I mean, the first thing I said, like, like when the when the the planes hit the building in two thousand one, I I remember I said to my girlfriend at the time, I said, "They're gonna steal everything they can possibly take from us." She's like, "Why? This is like a coming together of America because of what happened." I go, "No, that's a coming together of Americans. That has nothing to do with Washington D.C." And then here comes the Patriot Act that was sitting in a drawer. It was already written. They mm-hmm. just needed an excuse to enact. And then Americans were all like, yeah, yeah, that'll be good for safety. You know, Mm -hmm. whenever you do anything for safety, you're going to fuck yourself. You know, it's like I say, you know, the slogan is safety first. Now, safety third production is first, you know, but when you do stuff for safety, not only do you take all the fun out of everything, you also take freedom away. All the things that are for safety that aren't just common sense safety. You know, like this Patriot Act, you know, the, look at the shit you got to go through to get on a fucking airplane now. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. You know? Well, the next it, step in it is taking all anonymous uh, money transactions away. That's like the next step. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that'll be... My, my hope is with the CDBDC shit... CBDC, yeah. And I don't know if they can pull it off in America. Just think about it. They couldn't even make the Obama healthcare website work. You know, that was a fuck up, right? Mm. How are they going to handle the money? You know, but they're, they're going to try. That's coming. You know, because they don't want China to be number one. They want to be number one. Well, I think you centralize money on a central app. Uh, I don't know. I don't think that that's all that complicated. And sadly, no. like most of my like right wing friends right now don't even know they've never heard the term cbdc yeah <laughs> there's, there's a real minority of people that care about this right now yeah exactly that's the thing that's how they want everybody not to they don't want people to think because if enough people started thinking and hearing about cbdc cbdc's there would be a problem yeah washington getting it through but if they keep it quiet and oh. you know basically ebt cards are cbdc's Dude, it's going to get through. You know why? They're not they're not going to package it as CBDC bill. They're they're going to package oh, it on some other important critical thing. And they're going, "Oh, by the way, we're going to yes. do CBDCs to help us with this thing." And everybody's going to be like, "Okay." And it'll help against terrorism. Yeah, or some stuff bullshit. Like that. Yeah. You know, like like I'm old enough we'll to fall remember. For it. Well, I'm old enough to remember food stamps. Are you? Oh yeah. Like actual food stamps where the people it was kind of shameful. People didn't want to be on food stamps because they'd be at the grocery aisle with their little booklet and everybody would say, oh, you're the poor son of a bitch. Like I like to say, yeah. when I was growing up in the 70s, the homeless people, we yelled out the window, get a job, you know? Yeah, that was in an but era people, when shaming was probably too bad. What well, was too bad? And now it swung too far the other way, but yeah. Yeah, now it's gone the other way. But yeah. EBT cards is basically CBDC. They, they load their cards up for buying groceries and shit mm-hmm. and now they can buy 
fucking Slurpees at a fucking gas station with food stamps. You know, it's crazy. That's not healthy food. Yeah. You know, because it used to be too with food stamps in the 70s and early 80s. You could only buy vegetables and meat with that. You couldn't buy any of the box food or any of that. You that's could only that's buy. They considered vegetables and meat food at that time. <laughs> yeah, it still was considered exactly. That's like well, me and Slim talked about that when I was growing up, and this would have been in the '60s and the '70s. We had a grocery store chain in Indiana. It was IGA, which was Independent Grocers Association. It was basically like a farmer's market every day of the week because the food that was in there came from maybe 60 to 100 miles away. That was it. You know, hmm. it was the farmers that were around. That's where the food came from. And it was very seasonal. Some seasons you couldn't get certain vegetables because yeah. they weren't in season. But the food and, was and good, the meat, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then 1971 came. Yep. You know, everything changed. Everything changed. And so- yeah. Yeah, it's like I say, I, I remember when, when Nixon pulled that stunt, you know, taking us off the gold standard completely. My parents didn't think nothing of it. They're like, oh well, whatever. Yeah. But my grandpa, remember my I was telling you, I listened to my grandpa more. He was railing. He was so mad. He's like, This is the end of the world. <laughs> and he was he was kind of right. It just took a lot longer. Yeah. The crazy old guy was right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. sixth grade education. That's all I had. Well, money is not that complicated. They they want to tell us that no. it is, but you don't need a big ed- education. My my daughter is in eighth grade, and her math yeah. homework she, she brings me problems on most days. And every day I tell her, dude, I have no idea what this is. You got to go figure it out on your own. I can't, you know, I'm I'm an MD. Yeah. I cannot figure out my middle school kids' math homework. <laughs> but these kids yeah. won't understand basic multiplication and and uh, division that they need to understand yeah. just to look at money. Yeah, it does. It's not that complicated. And, and that's the ba- really the basics of life with math. You can do addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. Should be able to do it pretty much in your fucking head. But I but think they don't even know. How, they I think don't it's have, a sign up on these kids, though. I think they're teaching these kids, yo, math's really fucking difficult. Like, don't try it. I think I think yeah. that's what they're teaching these kids. Leave it to the experts because you'll never understand money. Money's even more complicated than this, but it's not. Yeah. Well, that's what they they they. It's not complicated. It's not complicated at all. Money's not. It's it's kind of like it's like with the Bitcoin thing. Everybody goes, it's really hard to understand. Not really. I don't think it's hard to understand what it is. No, it's it's, it's actually it's, the simplest money you could have. You don't need to know the technical difficulty or the te- technical specifications of it. Really, you just got to know yeah. it's it's like money that you can't change the rules on. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, uh, that was one of the shining examples to me that finally got me in it was when I figured out that there was no CEO. <laughs> yeah, I but, went, all right, I'm in. <laughs> but it, it is a Bitcoin podcast, and I did promise you that we could talk about Bitcoin. So, so <laughs> oh, we don't have to. We don't have to. We can talk about fucking anything. <laughs> no, but I, I think I do have to. But, but anyway, you you entered Bitcoin July 2020. Is that right? Yeah. And I went all in. That must have been a wild year for you. What was that like? Well, well, obviously, with all the stuff that was happening personally and, and shit because of COVID, mm. you know, and I saw more locking down and stealing of freedoms. I was going nuts. And to find out about money, I went to the bank 
And I, well, I called them a week in advance and I said, I want $50,000 out of my banking account. And they said, well, that may be too much to get in a week. So they could only give me 15,000 in cash and 35,000 in a check. And I said, no good. I'll wait till you get it. Cause we were in the Walmart truck. I had like a, it looked like a briefcase, but it was a safe. And we were driving around with $50,000 in cash at all times. So that wasn't we're, based on a rule of a $15,000 limit. They just said we, do, we, we cannot source the cash. No, because they have to call the Federal Reserve to get that much. Most banks, if you ask, they don't have that much money at the bank. They don't. Hmm. Uh, and you have to get their permission, of course, you know, for it, which is your money. You think the bank would know how to source money, though? Yeah, but they're not allowed. They're not allowed. And and it's not once you put it in the bank, you know, if you read that small print. Mm-hmm. They own Once it. It's it's the, they own it. They yeah. got it. It's yours. It's theirs. Yeah. Uh, so you have to ask them permission for your money. But so I, I went through that ordeal, and that was when I was finding Bitcoin and started listening to podcasts and shit like that. Uh-huh. And went, huh? And really, what it was was the old guy. I went, you know what? I'm the old guy. I don't matter anymore. My voice is old school. It doesn't matter. And I was looking at all you younger guys. You were in it. You were passionate about it. People were passionate about it. And I went, there's the future. Because that's how it's always been. You know, generations go on. But when I went in, because 50000 wasn't all of it. But when I went in, I like, you know, like I said to you, I, I was like a redneck Michael Saylor. I went in everything. Everything I had, cashed out the 401k, the whole damn deal. Just boom. It all went in. You know, and I've never looked back and I, you know, they talk about how hard it is to hodl. It's not hard to hodl because I'm a saver. Anyways, I'm not a spender. So it's just there. I hold it in my cold storage. There's nothing so hard about it, but you, you started but, well, July when you started buying, what was the price at? 10. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think I averaged in by the time I got it all in there. The funny one. Well, I'll tell you that story. I think around around twenty two is, is where I'm sitting in an average. So I'm I'm basically even money right now, somewhere in there. Okay. But the the funny thing was when I went to wire twenty five thousand uh, dollars, Swan, because that's where I get my shit. I'm KYC'd because uh, I can't do it any other way. I'm too stupid or whatever. Yeah. But <laughs> I wired tw- I wired twenty five grand, and they asked, you know, the bank, well, what is this for? I told them corn futures. <laughs> <laughs> That's know, another common work. LARPer thing to, that they harp on, though, is, oh, you got KYC'd. How did you do that? You should have flown to another country and met this guy in the alley, right? Well, if they ever did a 6102, you know, the, the old joke, it's the boating accident. You don't have it no more, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not worried. They're going to regulate everything that you could possibly do with Bitcoin. Because they can't regulate Bitcoin. It's, well, it, they'd, they'd have to physically like imprison everybody, and that's a lot of work. Yeah. So chances are no. It. I mean, they could, but chances are no. Yeah. They'd, they'd really have to single a, you out. Yeah. And and like I say, I don't have – I've been a trucker with a hazmat license for so long. I mean, I have to get vetted from the FBI to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. I used to 
I used to carry bombs around on trucks, you know, demilling bombs, the, the army base and shit. Mm. So they know who I am. You probably yeah, got on a list for not wearing the mask at Walmart, though, if we're being honest. Probably. Probably could have been. Uh, I don't know. But, yeah, when I got into the the big thing was about the $5 wrench, you know, yeah. attack. Yeah. And it was always, well, what are you going to do? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm that guy. I said, well, I'll shoot them if they, if they try to hit me with a wrench. And now I say the joke is with inflation, hey, the $5 wrench won't even cause a bruise anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, you could have done a lot worse getting in in 2020 than that cost basis. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. No, I got it. I got it. Well, you know what they say. Everybody gets it at the price they deserve it. That's when I deserved it. I think as a concept, though, it's easier to hold when you're not down a lot. Yeah. Right. You get into this thing. But if it's like a lot lower than what you bought in for, it's harder, I think. Yeah. Well, I got a buddy. He's an accountant. He's my age, lifelong friend. We've known each other since we were kids. I got him in his first buy was at 50. And he's not having any trouble because he, he knows. You know, he's an accountant who actually knows money and stuff. So he's way down. But he's like, it's all right. I'm just holding it. It's going to come up, you know, at some point. Well, he's a unicorn, though, because he put in the work, number one. And, and number two, he trained in money in the fiat right. world. Yeah. Those people don't really exist that get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, it may be the age, you know, and he's comes from a really conservative family like I did. So we're both along those lines, you know, he didn't, he, his family was uh, just normal blue collar workers, mom and dad. Yeah. So he comes from that, that, you know, you watch your money. So it's, you know, it's so- just natural to him. And he's got his sons on it now. His sons both just graduated college within the last few years, so he's got them buying some Bitcoin too. Right now, and, it's so and one son, hot and one, son, one, one son said to him, "Dad, what's it matter if I buy Bitcoin? I get yours, right?" <laughs> Sounds like my kid. Yeah. Um, but it's it's hard to get people into it right now. Like this is the time of the markets. I mean. I guess this is kind of like your first bear market, but this is the time that like nobody gets into it. It's just, well, he, it's just what, so unpopular. Well, like, like I'm still stacking. And he said that I just talked to him yesterday. He goes, yeah, this is great that it's holding down there. Cause I get it in there. You know? Yeah. But you people are a lot of rare people, though. Well, it's that low time preference, high time preference, you know, yeah. what do you got? You know? And, and if you're a degenerate gambler, yeah, this sucks, you know? Yeah. But, that's, I mean, that's not where I came from because I never bought stocks and stuff. I just never believed in the stock market. I've right. seen it crash too many times in my I mean, life. It's artificial. I think everything else is a shit coin, but most people will perceive Bitcoin to be the highest risk asset. Yeah. Well, um, but, but a lot there, of people, a lot, a lot of people can perceive whatever they want to perceive, you know, yeah. and, and you make, and in this world, you sort of make your own truth. And there's people that don't want it to be the truth and they're never going to, they're never going to see it. They're never yeah. going to see it. Well, for most you people know. it would just destroy their world. Cause it would just mean they're wrong about so many things for so long. <laughs> well, well, and, and they, they would rather, you know, like we were saying earlier, they double down. Have a, yeah. Or that they, they, they want that, they see a car and they want that new car, 
and stuff, you know, because like, I don't know if you've seen the new Ford Bronco, the full size one. I oh, really yeah. like it. It's pretty. I really like it. And my wife went online, she said it's only, uh, I think it was like $60,000. Said, yep, maybe I'll have it in 10 years. You know, this, I'll have the 2000 and uh, 2022 Ford Bronco in the year 2032. I'll have a 10-year-old, yeah. you know. Well, the Ford oh, won't yeah. be running in 10 years. You know that. Yeah, I know. I know. It, it, I I don't. I really. It, it. Somebody. Somebody was asking a question the other day on Twitter. You know, how many more years do you want to live? And I said I'd be good with just a decade. <laughs> Take me out at seven years old, because I I worry that what the hell is this next decade going to be? You know, because it seems like everything's accelerated. It really does seem like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like. Like I was saying, they used two, they used the September 11, 2001 to do what they did. And COVID was, they used it, you know, never let a crisis go to waste, right? Mm-hmm. And they used it to steal more. And they'll manufacture another one. And people will believe it. Yep, they will. They'll take more away. Most people aren't. I, I hear people with the sentiment that people are getting smarter and wising up, but I, I don't think so. <laughs> on a wide basis i don't see it i yeah. can tell you right now the you know this is this is northeast georgia and all these people that work here they're just truckers they're just normal people they're clueless i'm telling you they're all walking around clueless in this company that the other truckers they they're just clueless the answer is going to be the state needs to control things more to protect you more because obviously they haven't been doing a good enough job protecting you to now so they need to do yeah. more that's going to be what most people will believe. Um, oh, gosh, that's really yeah. pessimistic. But I wanted to make a point on your uh, bronco. <laughs> you, you, you said, you know, sixty thousand dollars to you and me sounds like a lot of money for a car. But when you look at it in terms of real inflation, like real money supply, it's yeah. probably cheaper than it used to be. It could be. It right? could be. When you look in well, terms of purchasing uh, power inflation, which you shouldn't then maybe it's got, you know, it's been inflated a bit, but in terms of real inflation, I, I think it's probably cheaper than it used to be. It could be, I don't know. I don't know the real price of a Bronco back in the day, but you can look mm. it up on Google, but I can tell you this. My uncle had this, my uncle was very cool. He was a cop, but he was really cool. He had a souped up El Camino back in the day and a 1973 Corvette. This was the last this was the last year, both the, or no, 71 Corvette um, with the last of the metal bumpers on it. Mm. And it had a big 454 Holly Big Block. That thing was bought new in 71 for, I think it was 7,000 bucks. You know, and now you go price a Corvette, right? Mm-hmm. I always remember that because that's what it cost them. Let's say a base Corvette's like seventy, went up ten times in price. There's probably more than ten times as much Fiat now than there was then. Yeah, so it's actually oh, cheaper yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is insane. Like I said, he was just he was just a cop and he was able to buy it. Somebody that's a cop these days yeah. ain't buying a brand new Corvette. Probably a one worker household too. Yeah, yeah. But, now he he was married and stuff, you know, but he was just into cars. You know, he taught me, he taught me what I know about him, you know, so it was cool. I don't And he always had this big refrigerator, big refrigerator in his, in his garage. It was filled 
to the rim, to the top, to the bottom of Pat's Blue Ribbon, by God. <laughs> and he always had Waylon Jennings and Merle Haggard on the stereo. So I, I loved it over there at his house. I don't know. Pat's Blue Ribbon is kind of gross. <laughs> well, it killed me. It killed me when Pat's Blue Ribbon became the hipster beer. Right. Right. You know, I was, I was like, do you was guys like know? the 90s? Yeah, some 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Where it was yeah. the hipster beer. And I'm like, you got to be fucking shitting me because this is the cheap shit. You know, when we were in high school, that was the cheap shit beer. You get somebody to buy you. Yeah. My you college know? girlfriend's dad was an engineer. God bless him. And he would always go to the gas station every day and get a six pack of Paps Blue Ribbon. Yeah. Nice guy. Really good at Jeopardy. <laughs> but um classic classic cars like those corvettes i think those are examples of of where where mm, scarce assets are serving as a proxy for failing money yeah people collect that stuff because it holds its value because it's actually truly scarce unlike the money yeah Um, because corvettes they only make a certain amount of year and they are scarce mm -hmm. they are scarce so it it is it's probably some of those other cars that you could consider assets because they don't lose their their value, and and the older it gets, and the more you keep it in good shape, the more it gets expensive. You know, it's like when you watch that Barrett car auction, yeah, and they're selling like a nineteen sixty six fastback Mustang, you know. But for the most part, yeah. cars are bad investments. <laughs> no, cars cars are not an investment. <laughs> you know, let so, alone a good or a bad one, they're not an investment. So, how does a trucker like you find Bitcoin in the first place? Well, it would have been, um, it was actually on Facebook. It was these, these idiots that were just shit coiners and they sold this. You got a free book. You got a free book. If you signed up with them, was and it, it was Eric crypto. Voorhees? No, no, it was crypto one Oh one. And I just happened to see that and I went, it's free. Okay. And, and what it was, it was a book about shit coins. But the very first part of it was about Bitcoin. Uh-huh. And so I read I read the Bitcoin thing and then I started reading about shit coins. I went, Well, that's shit. You know, I never I never bought a shit coin. Never once uh, dropped that's rare. one penny. One, one penny. Never got caught up in that loop. But I don't think I told anybody this. I back in the day in 2013, I owned Internet of Things token. I owed or, Internet of Things A, what's IOTA? I don't know. I owned I owned yeah, like a thousand dollars of it for one week, and that was that was my only shit coining. Yeah. And, but that was back in the day, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like I told, I was talking to a, when I had my podcast, I had Guy Swan on it. Guy told me about how him and his you brother. You guy on your podcast? Yeah. 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 And uh, wow. his story, him and his brother, they were mining Bitcoin on a GPU card. And he goes, but we gave it up because we were only mining like 21 a day. <laughs> wow. And I said, "What?" And he goes, "Yeah, I know. Don't, don't, don't get me." But he used to have a call of, he would call somebody and deposit some money in a bank account with a specific amount, so they would know it's him, and that would be how he would get his Bitcoin. Wow. It was fucking weird. And I said, "I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have done that." So it was the what it was after after I read that Crypto One Hundred One. Of course, these jokers had a podcast. But on one of the podcasts, I'd listened to a few, and then I started searching around, found some more. But my big worry was, is all I heard was exchanges and this and that. I was like, how the hell am I going to buy it? I'm a trucker. I'm driving all the time. I can't fucking get on the 
And then it was a podcast that Crypto 101 boys had had uh, Corey on from Swan. Yeah. And I just, I wasn't listening very much, but I heard Auto DCA. Yeah, he said Auto DCA. And I went, because I knew what DCA was. And I went, oh, shit. So that's how I went, okay, I can do this. And then I, I started listening to, you know, the usual stuff. Uh, Princey. I started listening to his podcast and some other just assorted safe, some of them safe to Dean's. And I just started learning about it. And I went, okay, I'm in. I'm in like Flynn. I'm in. Found some good ones. Yeah. Corey said and a lot of good was things for a long and, time. But but then he started hanging was, with McCormick and really fucked up Bitcoin Twitter, I think. Yeah, I've, I've, I've listened to Peter sometime. And he catches shit and he should for some of his fucking stupidity. But I didn't. I wasn't a big listener of uh, McCormick's. Mm. Uh, uh, Brady, when when Brady had the system Bitcoin podcast, that was a, a big one that helped me. For Swan, but yeah, Brady yeah. The, is with Swan now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I listened to that one too one. before he joined Swan. I did. Yep, I know what you mean. Yeah, because I I was more. <laughs> yeah, you, you, these people say I'm in it for the tech. I'm not in it for the tech. I could give a fuck about that. Right. I'm in it for the philosophy, the philosophy behind it. And the, and yeah, same that. here. And so those podcasts, are the ones that were speaking more of the philosophical side of it, mm. and that's what hit me. So and and that's what got me in it. But then I could do it, so I did it. You know. Yeah. Well, good for you. You you uh, found found your way through like a lot of. I don't know. A lot of noise. I think it's hard to really understand things and, and you sorted it through the noise. Um, yeah. Editors know for well, people at home, and, and I know you know this, but but just for people at home, anybody that has crypto in their title should be avoided because they're scammers. <laughs> and Peter McCormick's a fucking scammer, just so everybody knows at home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's what I mean. I, I never I never really listened to him that much. I think I listened to him because in the early days, one of my favorite Twitter personalities was American Hoddle because I just thought he was funnier than fuck. Yeah. So every once in a while he'd be on my corner and I'd listen just to laugh my ass off. But I was listening to podcasts, you know, like I said, driving 11 hours a day. At that time, I was still driving for Walmart and then I got fired. And then I worked, it was such an easy route. I went from Reno, Nevada to Elko, Nevada, to Salt Lake City and back. That's all I did. And that's I-80, just straight as shit through the desert. There's nobody out there. And I was driving at night, so I could just listen and listen and listen and listen. Listen to a lot of, of uh, Bitcoin Audible guys' podcast, him reading all this stuff. And it just came across as with the philosophy of it. And that's where I stand on it still. Mm. The tech stuff, it's not that I don't give a, a shit about the text, the, the tech. I don't understand it, the tech side of it. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think nobody understands it fully, it seems like. But uh, I think that it's doing what it's supposed to do in terms of just you know recording value. And I get concerned when people get excited and they want to introduce new features because that means – if you do that, then it means it can be changed. And I think that's super dangerous because the whole value proposition, See, we have this value that cannot be changed. Call call Kennesaw, they just called us. Call dispatch. Okay. 
What was that you were saying? My oh. phone was ringing. I just laid out my whole Bitcoin philosophy. But <laughs> no, um, I'm just saying the whole the whole value of Bitcoin is that it can't be changed. So when people start getting excited about new exactly. technologies, I, I find that very dangerous. Yeah, it is. And that's that's what I said. You know, the biggest thing was there was no CEO. And when I learned what nodes and miners are, I'm like, fuck, it can't be changed. It can't be fucked with. Mm -hmm. And and I'd never there's never been anything in my lifetime that couldn't be fucked with. Right. So that was a big appeal to me. And being an Atlas shrug, being an Atlas shrug guy, it was kind of like it was, you know, Galt's Gulch and the Galt coin, you know, the way those guys were living in the Galt. So it was kind of that mythical thing. If I was a bad actor and I wanted to kill it, I would convince the masses that it needed to be changed for good. Yeah, and, and somebody tried that once, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, yep. The the 2X thing was the probably the biggest example in 2017. Um, yeah. with 2X. But but yeah. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that that's not coming around more. Like, they're not buying more of the quote good influencers to try to introduce a bug um, i think that's the attack vector that that i'm afraid of i think I, I think you're right because those are the ones that everybody's listening to the influencers and yeah. they're listening to them and that's what they do they influence people and everybody's and so for sale or everybody can be yeah. pressured sure because the rest of us yeah, are so, satoshi <laughs> yeah you know so the I, I, I'm, <laughs> I joke about it and say, I must be too old to be influenced because the influences in the space, I, I they, they, they mean nothing to me. I, I'm more just the everyday guy. You know, I, I'm going to listen to the everyday guy, the normal guy that's in the big white in it, you know, and that, that means more to me than somebody that is a paid shill yeah. or, you know, I, I like to joke about it. It's hard to trust somebody with over 2000 followers. <laughs> so this time, like this cycle was kind of like your first cycle. It didn't surprise you a lot when, when somebody like Nick Carter turned scammer. Call dispatch, sweetie. Oh my God. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry about that. No worries. But I'm just saying like, this was your first cycle. So for me, when I see somebody like Nick Carter turning into a big scammer, I'm not surprised at all, right? Because I've seen this yeah. before a lot. But but did it surprise you to see people that were widely regarded as awesome people just turn into complete sellouts? No, no. I, I've been alive long enough and I've seen it. You know, people that you okay. think are it, and then they, they're just not no more. You know, and, and they go against the grain. And he, I've seen enough. There's like when, when like like you said, when Nick Carter did it, it's like, well, okay, there goes another one. You know, like when Breedlove did it with his big connection. Okay, there goes another one. Yeah, there's another you one. Know? Yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's like another one bites the dust. Hey, you know, it just it doesn't make sense to me, but it's the fiat mindset. They're just making money off of off of it in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. Whether it's kind whether of fair game because like, everybody really like the whole Bitcoin philosophy is you should use it because it's in your self-interest and everybody's kind of looking out for their self-interest and we shouldn't really trust yeah. anybody. And, and everybody's going to, everybody's going to see it and use it differently for their own purposes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, but, but it, it, it is amazing when somebody you think that is so hardcore goes <laughs> just <clears throat> off the rails. You're like, what the 
fuck happened there? Did he get hit in the head with the five dollar wrench? What the hell? <laughs> uh, tell us about your your podcast that you had bar stools, Bitcoin, and bullshit. I, I saw you that you were doing it pretty frequently. You had some good guests. I, I didn't realize you had guy, but I saw you had Canute on and some others. Yeah, I had Canute before Canute was Canute. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. But I had guy. The big ones I had was Princey. He was my first one because he's the one that. I DM'd him. I said, how the hell do I do this podcast thing? And he actually answered me. And then we did a Zoom call that turned into me on his podcast. Uh, so I had Princey. Those are the names I had. Princey, Guy, and Canute. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was just us, plebs. You know, they're just the people. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, we re- <laughs> sometimes we rarely talked about Bitcoin at all. Because my idea of the podcast was, this is a Saturday night. You're in a bar on a bar stool and somebody sits next to you and you start talking. <laughs> that was the idea of the podcast. Uh, and it was fun. They were lengthy. God damn, they go forever. Uh, but it was just too much time because I was still trucking. It was just too much mm. work, mm-hmm. you know, and I felt like I was, I felt like I was kind of, well, I, I was a lot of times I was just too damn tired, you know, but uh, it was fun. There were sometimes I got a couple couple guests and me maybe got a little drunk on it, you know, because we were drinking and shit. But it was a lot of fun. And the the story, like when Canute was on mine, Canute was actually cooking for his family, so it was like a cooking show almost, huh. you know. And we talked about his days on the tall ship, and things like that. And I remember, I remember at the end of the podcast, I said something. To him. You know, because now he's 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 up there. And at the time I said, because he put out a tweet when he got 7,000 followers. Like, oh, my God, I got 7,000 followers. So I made fun of him on the podcast, calling out him, calling out his 7,000 followers. You know, but Canute was a good guy. Uh, yeah, he seems cool to hang out with. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a big he's a big thinker. And it's, he's a crazy thinker. It's kind of kooky how he thinks because it's. It's a lot of mathematics and and physics and things like that, but he's got a very interesting life story, which creates some. When people have an interesting life story, it will create a mindset, you know. Hmm. So that was neat, but but most of the times it was just a uh, like Bitcoin Labrador. I don't know if you know who he is. Yeah, because uh, he now you know he works in the. I think he's he's part of the Peach thing, and I think he still works for bitbox too but other people it was just it was just everyday people bitcoiners on it you know do you think you're gonna That's get back to it someday oh i don't know i don't know uh, lc said i ought to just do a podcast where i just go ranting on for about 15 minutes <laughs> yeah you could do I a said, short form thing that wouldn't take too much I time said, yeah i said I, I don't know if anybody enjoy that because <laughs> it may be on a bad day you know, yeah. but it'd be real. I don't know. Maybe I will. I don't know. Maybe I will. I, I really enjoyed talking to somebody. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I, what I never got together, I wanted to do it to where there was like four people at once because then it would really be like being in a bar sitting around a table, you mm. know, and then everybody could just talk, you know. I hope uh, LC gets back to it. I kind of miss him and uh, yeah, like uh, Phil Coin Icarus stopped his personal podcast yeah so, so some of my faves went away 
Um, I think L- I think LC will. He's just he's working stuff out now. He's yeah. having a good time. He's you know, having a real good time with his family and kids. I don't know, know if he told you. I, he disappeared for a while, and he wasn't answering on Telegram. So I texted him. I was like, "Hey, man, you okay?" And he's like, "He's like, who dis?" And I said, <laughs> "I said it's your bookie." And it was just silence. And I was yeah. like, "No, it's not your bookie." He's like, "Oh, huh. so, yeah, I like LC. He's a good I guy. I like LC a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, I think I think he'll come back at some stage." Where are you getting your Bitcoin info from these days? Is it still just podcasts or flipping through Twitter? Somebody says something and I go looking what it is. But I mean, besides this awesome podcast, what other ones have you listened to lately? Uh, other than yours? yours yeah, mine's really good. I mean, everybody knows that. But Yeah. No, it's just uh, really the only podcast I really listen to consistently now is No Agenda. You know, okay. I listen to that one. Uh, and that's, I, that's I listen a to news that's supposed to be unbiased Dave, news. Dave, Dave Bennett's uh, Bitcoin and I try to listen to that every day because it, it sums up a lot of the, the daily news that you may want to know. You know, his oh, and it's yeah, an yeah, hour Dave. long. Yep, yep. I know, what yeah, you mean. it's an yeah, hour yeah. long and it's yep. really good. He's really good and mm-hmm. usually. Uh, is of the mi- same mindset to me. So when he reads an article, I'm like calling it out in my head what he's going to say. Okay, but yeah, that's a good one. I, that's a good one just because that's a way to keep up with the daily stuff for me. Yeah, the stuff that fluctuates daily. Yeah. Pirate tells me that he records his stuff at like five in the morning every day. He used to. He doesn't now because he moved. He moved up to Washington State. His his wife got a job with a school. She's a university professor. Okay. So he moved up to Washington State, so he's no longer in Texas. And he'll call out the time when he's doing it. It's like the one that I just listened to today. It was like 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time when he was recording. So, but yeah, he used to get up real fucking early and do it. So, you know, getting to know you, do you have any non Bitcoin hobbies? Motorcycles, motorcycles and music. What did you play in the band? Uh, guitar and singer. Oh, cool! I was a song. I was a songwriter the whole damn deal. I tried everything. Uh, went to Nashville, L.A., New York, all that shit during the day back in the eighties. Uh, and in Nashville, it was always kind of funny because one publishing house would say you're too country, and the one right next door would say you're too rock and roll. Okay, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> and so I gave up and left Nashville and went back to Bloomington with my te- with my my head between my my legs. And it wasn't like a year and a half later, Garth Brooks hit. And I went, <laughs> son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. <laughs> you could have been Nickelback, man. Yeah, I could have been Nickelback. <laughs> but that that's really it. But I don't have a guitar anymore because I gave that away when we went over to the Philippines. I have yet to get another one. And right now we're homeless. No car. We have no vehicles. We're this truck. You know, until we get it. So I'll have to I'll make you sing your own intro song. Do what? You should sing your own intro song. I did on Barstool Bitcoin Bullshit. I did it live every time. And whoever <laughs> my guest was had to sit through it. <laughs> it was funny because when I had Hotto Tarantula on, you can hear him singing in the background. He loved the song. Oh, but you can hear him singing along. Yeah, that's kind of funny one. Uh, but yeah, I did that. I did 
you know that's that was so, that was life that's what that was the dream thought i was going to be a rock star you know and I, and i got close more than once you know i got i got i got signed on and then the AR guy that signed me got fired so i got lost in the shuffle on that one uh i'm i, I was friends with everybody in uh uh, Mellencamp's band back in the day, and they they played oh. on some of my demo tapes. Yeah, one of my best. Well, one of my best friends is was his guitar player back in the eighties when they were huge, Larry Crane, and he was at our wedding. He's still a good buddy. You know, oh, that's crazy. So I got I got close, but no cigar. You know, no cigar, not for me. Well, and it's probably all the better. It's probably all the better. I always tell everybody. I go, if I had gotten successful, I might have been one of those rock and roll casuals. You would have heard the story, you know. So behind the probably music. in the big picture, yeah, in the, the big the picture, rise and fall of Bubba. Yeah, so in the big picture, it was probably better that it did. <laughs> so back in the day, back in the day, I didn't have a lot of self control. <laughs> I uh, I ask this question a lot, but but Bitcoin is the ultimate monetary bug out tool. Cause it changes the game and lets people cross borders with their wealth. So have you thought right. about bugging out if the shit hits the fan? I assume you have. <laughs> and do you have any interesting oh. tips for us? Yeah, I've, I've thought about that a lot. And it was interesting because when I did, I took it to the Philippines with me. Right. And uh, at customs, they wanted to see what the hell was in this little box. And what I have is a foundation, the, the original foundation that looks like the Nokia phone. Mm. And they pulled it out and they go, oh, that's a cell phone. Yep, that's exactly what it is. And they shut the box and through customs I go. You yeah. know, but there's a lot of ways yeah. to hide data. But I, I've I've thought about bugging out, but not bugging out of the country. Because I know you get out in western US, you get out in the desert, they ain't gonna know where the fuck you are. <laughs> you can just get out. Because my RV that we had back then, we had six hundred watts of solar on top of solar panels and we had two lithium batteries inside. We held that we we had that thing for five years and never once had to plug it in. Hmm. We'd fill up with water. So you're you're a step ahead water. of the game. You're portable already. Oh, I was yeah, I was portable a long time ago. Yeah. I've always believed that's that's you have to stay portable. You have to be able you gotta move. Mm-hmm. I mean if you watch all the doomsday movies, you know uh you better be able to get the hell out of dodge mm-hmm. you know but and so that rv that rv if the tank was full it had a thousand miles to it and i always kept that tank full <laughs> just in case so the rest of us though with houses what do you think we're missing in our plan well you're not necessarily missing anything you know because i've never had kids and i wasn't married until i was 45 so I could always think that way. It was just me. And then when I got married, it was just me and her. So it was easy to think that way. I don't think, as every once in a while, I think it'd be nice to have a house and a place that I could call home. But then, no, because I know I'm going to get itchy and move anyways. Because hmm. I like to move. I don't like to stay in one place too long. I mean, uh, for- but I don't, think you're, I don't think you're all missing. It's just different priorities. I mean, there's people out there that do the whole nomad thing to have kids and stuff in RV. They do it. I don't know how easy it is for them, you know. 
I think that our friend LC is grossly overestimating the uh, use of his revolver, the utility of his revolver. He thinks he's going to shoot Terminator robots with a revolver. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love revolvers too, but I know that it, it's only they're they're good close up, and they ain't good for more than six, and then you got to reload the motherfucker. You know. Yeah. So, but I love them. I love revolvers. Just love them. You know, because I think it's the old cowboy movies, dirty hairy and shit. You know, it's like uh-huh. that's what I grew up on was revolvers. We didn't <laughs> have all those those neat little fancy things, but that's about yeah. So I. If, if it's me, I want a revolver. That's what I want. <laughs> who, who are some of your favorite underfollowed Bitcoiners that people don't know about? Shit. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, I know his name, Gunner. Uh, he was on my, he's over in Norway. And he's vastly underfollowed. He's a he he's he he kind of went off the rails when he was younger too. He's he's not as old as me, but he's up there in age. Uh, but he's a carpenter over there, and he's always just done it his way. lived lived like a a ski bum mountain, like snow ski bum mountain man up in the mountains and stuff. Really nice guy. Really head head is together. Uh, they called him crazy back in the day, and actually. Had him committed for a while, but it, he wasn't crazy. He was just talking, you know, <laughs> ahead of the time. Yeah, you're not like, supposed to speak your thoughts out loud. Do what? Don't speak yeah, your thoughts saying, out loud. It's dangerous. Right, exactly. But Except he's a really his, good guy. Uh, his handle, and I'll put it in the show notes. I'll have to DM because he changed his handle. Well, I know it's Gunner, but he changed his, you know, at, so I can let you know that. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll send it to you in the DM. Yeah. Uh, him, uh, Bitcoin Labrador. I think he's very unfollowed too. Uh, I don't know. I mean, hell, you got a podcast. You're underfollowed. Oh. <laughs> like I said, I'm going to triple you. We're going to get 10 listeners on this one. Yeah, that ain't, that ain't <laughs> happening, man, but I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> Um, what what other topics do you want to hit on that i failed to ask you about uh if anything it's it's all what what slim's doing what texas slim's doing with that beef issue that is so it's really monumental because it's it's changing the way you get your meat and you know it and the whole idea of shake your rancher's hand you can know your farmer or your rancher yeah, you get your food because the food that is in the grocery stores is fuckered. It's killing us slowly. Yep. Uh, I believe, you know, with all that stuff, what he's what he's got going with that and with the ranch and stuff, it's really it's really a big deal. And you can buy your beef with Bitcoin if you want to, but it's it's more than that. It's the whole movement of it's decentralized. Mm-hmm. It's decentralizing your food because our food is very centralized, right? Yeah. Even if you go to even if you go to a restaurant, it's centralized because even if it's a mom and pop restaurant, when you're there at the delivery time, it's probably a Cisco truck brings it to the back door. Yeah. You know, 
so centralized oh. fiat food is killing us and there's people trying to reverse that yeah I, yeah exactly and it, and it is i don't think i don't think you can argue that the food is fucked up you know cuz it's all just i mean first off do you grow food or do you manufacture food <laughs> if it comes in a box it's manufactured i drive into plants to pick up shitty food and it actually says manufacturing plant yeah i didn't know food was manufactured but it is one of the most you know, interesting parts of this conversation was the the filipino people that that got unhealthy when we westernized their fiat food yeah exactly everybody's got a it's weird everybody you never saw fat filipinos never not in the philippines uh-huh. boy they're everywhere now they're fucking everywhere those pictures yeah. of the beaches in the 70s to now are just terrifying oh yeah when you see those pictures where yeah. everybody on the beach you know was well a fucking i grew smoke up, show back in the day i grew up and i wouldn't i wasn't even fat i was the chubby kid right but everybody called me fat, but I'm nowhere near as fat as what I see now, you know, in, in teenagers and stuff. But I was a chubby kid, so I, I caught the shit. And I was nowhere near what, you know, when you walk around now, you see some teenagers like, holy fuck. You know, how'd they get that big that quick, you know? But, so yeah, that, I, I, I that's what I said, like, that's why I latched on to Slim. And we became fast friends in the early days because I knew it. I've lived it. You know, I've been alive a long time and ate a lot of shit fucking food. And it's taken its toll on me. You know, it just has. So it, it was very, uh, uh, something close to my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a big deal. Zark. I really do. Because how else do you live? You got to eat to live, right? Yeah. Yeah. We should. uh spending more time thinking about that part of our lives probably yeah maybe maybe that's where you should spend your money is on good food you know and your time you got to free up your time to think about it and and work on it yeah um yeah it's been a really great chat i appreciate you taking the time uh it's nice to finally have a conversation with you i know we've been dming a bit over the years here (laughs) yeah yeah. And like I said, you're going to get 10 listeners. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> we'll see, man. But um, yeah, where, where can my several listeners find you? Do what? <laughs> where can my listeners find you? Oh, every once in a while on Twitter, I'll say something monumentally stupid. And it's uh, at Cool Beans Ranch. <laughs> I, I enjoy following your Twitter. You, you, you have some good takes, man. Um, Every once in a while, I, I get a few zingers in there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, thank you, Bubba. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me on Children of the Corn. Yeah, this was great. This is great. And what a great name. I mean, come on, Children of the Corn. We know where you're using that. That's great. <laughs> I was kind of proud Malachi! Of Malachi! <laughs> uh, it was great talking with you, man. All right, man. Safe driving to you. All right. We'll see you. Okay. Take care. <laughs>